Jesus continues to tell parables about the kingdom of heaven. In the previous parables, he's told us that we need to be prepared for the second coming at all times. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven will be as when a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow, and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. Give it to the one with the ten talents. For all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, Throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The word gospel comes from an old English term, God's spell, you know, with the clown Uh, Jesus, meaning good news. And so it's really weird to end with, from out into the darkness where he'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth, the good news of the Lord. (laughs) Doesn't sound very good to me. And that's because everybody's wrong about this parable. Even you. 
And unfortunately, it's because of one word. And that word is talent. Unfortunately, that word is in there, and it's in there. I mean, it's in the original Greek, but we all interpret this parable by saying, okay, each of us got talents. Um, you know, Joel's a bagpiper, um, you know, Eddie Axe, and so forth. And so we are called to maximize our talents. We are called to take the talents that God has given us and to put them hard at work. Because if not, we'll be like that lazy and worthless slave who just kind of buried his talent in the ground and got nowhere with it. And then we're going to be thrown into hell and we're going to get crispy and it's all bad and so forth. And while that is a very American, a very Western, modern way of approaching that, very Benjamin Franklin. I mean, that sounds like a sermon out of poor Richards. Nevertheless, I just don't think it is congruent with the history that Jesus was speaking out of. So in order to understand this parable, I think more robustly, let's go back and let's talk about how did people make money back in the time of Jesus? So first of all, the very wealthy man who entrusted his wealth to his slaves, why would he do that? The way that you would make money in Palestine under Roman rule 2,000 years ago would be one of two ways. You would either take the money that you have and invest it into giving it to basically small loans, like I think we call them today microloans. And you would give loans to people so that they could purchase property or they could purchase their, you know, better nets for their boats or things like that. And you would charge about 25 to 50% interest. So credit cards have nothing on that. And the reason for that is because you expected them to default so that you could seize their property and deprive them of a likelihood. But doing that would be beneath a wealthy person of means, so he would have his slaves go out and to collect on people's defaulted loans. The other way that you would make money is investing in the temple. Now, I spoke before that, you know, the Hebrew Bible is really into sevens. So the seventh day is the Sabbath, no work. The seventh year is the sabbatical. You allow your fields to lie fallow. So you are blessed by God on the sixth year so that you can store all that food so that on the seventh year you can allow the land to rest. And every seven times seven, 49th year, would be the jubilee. And there were three big things that would happen in the jubilee. Slaves would be freed. All land would be redistributed according to the original 12 tribes of Israel that we heard, remember Joshua conquering the battle in Jericho and conquering the promised land 
And last week, where all the Hebrew people said, we will obey the commandments of God. So we divide up the holy land given by God basically back to the original so that nobody can overpower or overrule somebody else with wealth. But the third one is the most interesting. Debts would be canceled. So you're a rich guy. I don't want my debts canceled. (laughs) What would you do? You would invest it into the temple. The priests are happy to take it because you're giving it to God, of course. And consequently, that explains some of the scriptures that we have. You remember in Mark 7, where Jesus condemns the Sadducees by saying, you hypocrites. You allow people to avoid their debts by calling them korban, which would be calling them sacrifices. So the 48th year is coming around. I want to keep everybody in debt. So I'm going to take all those debts, all those mortgages, all those contracts, and put them in the temple. And that way, there's sacrifice. And I can say, I don't have any debts. There's no debts to cancel. Why do you think one of the first things Jesus did when he went into Jerusalem was to overturn the moneylenders' tables and to cleanse the temple? He was getting rid of the mortgages, the debts, all of the ways that wealthy people were oppressing people who were just trying to get by and make a survival living in Palestine. Okay, so we have this wealthy man who doesn't really sound very Jesus-y, does he? I mean, you worthless and wretched, you wicked and lazy slave, thrown into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not God. That's not the God of Matthew 25 or <coughs> Luke 7, the Sermon on the Mount God. This is an avaricious and wicked greedy landowner who wanted to make money off of the oppression through debt of his fellow Jews. And so the first guy, he took the money the landowner gave him, invested it in the temple, probably got a few properties, a few mortgages, a few debts, and gave it back to the wicked landowner. The second one, we always have to have three, so he's kind of like the middle child. He's like the Jan Brady of the parable. You know, he's like, I did it too, you know, and Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. But the third guy, the third guy actually has the temerity to call out the wicked landowner and say, you reap where you do not sow, you gather where you did not scatter, I'm going to invest my money in property. Remember, the land is the center of God's covenant with Israel. And by doing that, that third man stood up to the wicked landowner and called him out and said, I'm not playing by your game. I'm not going to use your money to oppress others. But... It came at a cost. And we call that crucifixion. 
So what does that mean for us today? Well, first, take a look at your credit cards. (laughs) See what your interest rates are. But let me cast this parable in modern terms. There were two congregations. One congregation had an enormous amount that had been given to them that they put into an endowment, $3 million. And they had great resources. They had a wonderful location, and they had some outstanding ministries. They had a ministry of education, and they had a ministry of feeding the homeless and caring for them. But as time went by, that congregation came into a conflict over its resources and eventually had to spend some of that $3 million endowment in order to purchase property to relocate their ministries. But as they were given that wealth, they became more interested in preserving the wealth. And they saw those ministries as a drain on their resources. Feeding the poor does not turn a profit. And consequently, that congregation eventually had to sever the ministry that was not helping, but rather draining resources. And eventually, through shrewd investing, they were able to make up the money that was spent for the property that was going to house that ministry. But now it lies largely empty. But they have their $3 million. Is God's mission being proclaimed? You decide. Here's another congregation about the same size as the wealthy congregation. But this congregation does not have nearly the resources that the other one did. Somehow, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, this congregation had about 400,000. And this time, the congregation said, we are not called to be a bank. We are called to be a family. And therefore, we are willing to risk and to take our resources, and we're going to, instead of investing, we're going to invest in God's work, in God's family. So we're going to hire a part-time priest so that we have consistency, who will build up our congregation. And our resource may not be money, but our resource is rather our welcome our friendliness, our embrace of each other, and our willingness to carry each other's burdens. We are a family, not a bank. What's the future of that congregation? I don't know. As we said, making that decision will pay a price. But... On the other hand, we remember that crucifixion is not God's last word. 
For after all, we know that there is resurrection and abundance of life that we are promised. So therefore, we can invest in an unknown future. We can risk what we have for something that is greater. And therefore, we can truly trust in God's providential love for us all. The second congregation, I think you know, is us. I think you know that we have resources that are perhaps not on a spreadsheet or in Excel, but nevertheless, we are rich in God's mission, helping and partnering to give a home to the homeless, welcoming those who may have been alienated from previous congregations, supporting those who have lost parents and children, and being truly the family that God calls us to be. So what of the others who faithfully took the talents but didn't make a killing in the stock market? The one who forgave 70 times 7, but it came to nothing. The one who marched in protests and wrote to her senator, but was ignored. The one who loved her enemy, and he just scorned her. The one who prayed and meditated, but never once kept his mind from wandering. The one whose praise was never accepted. The one who sang the song of their soul that really wasn't all that lovely. The one who told the truth and looked like a fool. The one who shared his faith and nobody, not a soul, cared or believed. The one who really loved Jesus, but didn't ever see what she had to offer. What of them? To them the master turns and says gently, Well done, good and faithful servant. I know of one who served perfectly, but ended in failure, crucified. You have been trustworthy over a few things. I will put you in charge of greater things. For love is always risked, not invested. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.